refuse to believe that the bank of justice is bankrupt. We refuse to believe that there are insufficient funds in the great vaults of opportunity of this nation. And so we've come to cash this check, a check that will give us upon demand the riches of freedom and the security of justice. I'm Serge Antonin. Black and White and Thin Blue Lines is an original podcast co-created by Clark Ollers and me. The podcast is a conversation between two former police officers, one African-American and one Caucasian. We discuss police practices. We talk about criminal justice controversies. We have occasional guests who bring other perspectives to the dialogue. We hope that the podcast will persuade you to become informed about and active in influencing justice policies in America. But life is never easy. There's work to be done and obligations to be met, obligations to truth, to justice, and to liberty. Today's topic, defund the police. My name is Clark Ollers. And I'm Serge Antonin. Three words, defund the police, became a slogan, a very popular slogan, following the murder of George Floyd by Derek Chauvin in Minneapolis in 2020. But it's hardly a a new phrase. Uh, In 1935, an author, W.E.B. Du Bois, wrote a book, uh, I think it was called Black Reconstruction in America. And in that book, the author argued for the elimination of racist institutions, including white police forces and corrections. In 1960, uh, a civil rights advocate by the name of Angela Davis who currently teaches at University of California, I think Santa Cruz, and is a self-described Marxist, a former self-described communist and member of the Communist Party. Angela Davis called for defunding the police in the 60s. And then in 2017, an author uh, came out with a book, and the title of the book is The End of Policing. Alex, V-I-T-A-L-E, I don't know how he pronounces that name, the end of policing is described by liberals as a manual for the defund the police, a step-by-step manual for defunding the police. I haven't read the book, don't know that it is, but it's cited as that. To me, uh, the reason that defunding the police is a, an appropriate topic for our podcast is we talk a lot about the intersection of police work and race in America And I think this defund the police has a certain amount of racial connotation, nuance, or even uh, dog whistle, so to speak, to it. Uh, I will tell you, I really do associate the idea of defund the police with African-Americans on the left and the white anarchists uh, that go by the name of Antifa. That's who I associate it with. Who do you associate it with, if anybody, Serge? I would have to say I agree with uh, your associates of it. And as Al Sharpton said in an interview in September of 2020, the latte liberals right. who are sitting up in the Hamptons acting as though they have the authority to speak on issues that they have nothing to do with, in a sense. And also the people I refer to as sympathizers who've never had any bad interactions with police. No, they've never been beaten, never been shot. They don't even know anyone who's been beaten or shot. But 
they can cite for you every name on the back of a shirt. They can cite for you every time there was a riot and how for years they have been mistreated by the police, but they don't have an example. So the sympathizers. You know, there are very few people in this country that I don't share some value with. In other words, when I see even uh, – You're a pretty reasonable man. I mean, so – Well, yeah. I'm not – but I'm not – I don't know whether that's accurate or not, but I, but let's say AOC, the congresswoman from mm-hmm. New York. Mm-hmm. I mean, she – I find 80% of what she says politically to be nonsense – but every now and then she'll say something, and I'll sit there and say, I agree with that. Which which and, speaks to you being a reasonable man, because a lot of times when someone has tuned out what a certain person or group has to say, they've tuned all of it out. Well, the reason I'm bringing it up is because of Al Sharpton's comments. I mean, he reminds me there's a conservative writer, historian, and really an interesting guy named Victor Davis Hanson has podcasts, and he's also uh, very active in conservative writing and he's a historian and he talks about the class that what uh, Al Sharpton is calling the latte liberals he says these are a group of people who have never done muscular work in their life (laughs) and they've all been educated in kind of the elite schools of America they don't know anybody of color or if they do they know one or two people of color period they've never lived in a neighborhood that's uh, highly uh, segregated, I'm sorry, integrated. They live in segregated neighborhoods based on wealth. And also, they probably have never been the minority in a neighborhood. Lived in a neighborhood where, for example, it's predominantly African American and they're the white latte liberal yes. and so forth. And I do think there's my father, God rest his soul, used to say, a conservative is a liberal who got beat up last night, you know, and I, I get the, I always get the point, but the latte liberals as a group, that's what I mean. I share with uh, Al Sharpton. They bother me as a group more than almost anybody else in America in terms of their condescension and the way they talk about law enforcement and emergency services and what should be done when the building collapses in Florida. The elitist in them Ugh. feels like it, it makes them feel like, they're qualified to speak on these problems affecting the downtrodden, so to speak. I agree. So for all of the uh, white conservatives that listen to this podcast, see, Clark Ollers just agreed with uh, Al Sharpton <laughs> to start this discussion on defund the police. Yes, indeed. But uh, let's move on. But it is I who brought him up. That's right. Now, what does defund <laughs> the police mean? Uh, it probably means, it. look, let's face it. Uh, it means different things to different people who are using the three-word slogan. There's There are some people who take it to the extreme and say, we're going to completely defund the police department and close it. They they take police abolition and defunding and, and interchange those terms. Correct. And I think that's... I think that's so extreme, mm-hmm. and so few people really want to do that that it's not really worthy of a, of a And it's podcast. not realistic. No, it's it. But to defund the police, I'll tell you, if, if, if it means spending less money on the police, the I'm going to shock some people here when I say this. You're, you're opposed to that in general, correct, Serge? I'll tell you, I'm not as opposed because I believe that the police – like almost every aspect of government, 
waste an awful lot of tax dollars. So I'm not completely opposed. I think they could do more on less. I think I do agree with that. I just think that the tax dollars that they do receive and that they spend should be there should be better checks and balances. That's all I'm saying. So we're really not that far apart. In other words, I think that almost anybody listening would say they want every tax dollar well spent. That's kind of Absolutely. common sense. I also think almost anybody who was, is listening would say that's impossible, and I agree. In other words, I, I'm not saying down to the $1 expenditure. Uh, I, I really want to have a say in as a voter and so forth because that's not practical either. But I do think that there's a there's a rule, and now I'm jumping around here a little bit, Serge, from uh, our pre-production meeting. But there's a rule in business called the 80-20 rule that works like this. 80% of outputs come about because of 20% of inputs. And I'm a believer that that's true even in law enforcement. They used to call, in fact, there was a book written by a former police chief of the Washington, D.C. Department, Metropolitan Police in Washington, D.C. And I remember reading it when I was at Montgomery Junior College at age 18 or 19. And he took the view, that he called them super cops, that 7% of the police made 80% of the arrests, this kind of thing. And it might be that we don't really view them as super cops anymore. We view them as maybe they are the people that are being identified as racist and, and you know, pulling too many people over and so forth. I don't think of it necessarily that way, but I'm sure that there are people in the community that do, they, that some of these uh, men and women over-policed. But the point I'd like to make is that I think law enforcement needs to take business principles such as identifying specific goals, developing specific uh, metrics to measure whether you reach those goals, testing this in an academic way and being proactive about what works, I think it's overdue in law enforcement, meaning somebody has to decide. I don't care if it's the homicide rate uh, or the armed robbery rate or the uh, reported rape rate or whatever, but somebody's got to say, our goal is to reduce that next year by 20%. Here's how we're going to do it. And at the end of the year, measure the work put into it and the outcome, and then be honest. We're going to do it again because we did reduce murders by 20%, or we're not going to do it again because it didn't re- reduce murders at all. So this policy did not work, did not achieve the goal. I don't think we do that in law enforcement. Well, from listening to what you're saying, I don't think that defunding the police in any way will help that. I think that adding more money to a police budget, because what I'm hearing is that there needs to be a shift in leadership and how they're educated, how they're chosen. And I think these things will cost money for training, further education, for um, acquisition of candidates to to lead these agencies rather than the typical old-fashioned, you rise through the ranks, boom, you become a commissioner. Now we've gone to the going elsewhere out of town to grab some guy, bringing him into a an agency that he know, knows nothing about in an area he doesn't know the culture, but he's supposed to be the Batman or the Superman coming to save the day. Well, Serge, I, I, I really do disagree with you and and I, I want to ask you a question. Sure. If you were the mayor of Baltimore tomorrow, because you know Baltimore inside out, if you were the mayor of Baltimore and uh, 
the city council approached you about budget for the police department. Mm -hmm. Would you say, I want more money for the Baltimore Police Department, I want the same money, or I want less? I'd want more. So in a sense, Serge, this would be my challenge to you. You're saying that the problem facing the Baltimore Police Department is inadequate funding. Yes. I'm going to tell you what, Clark Hours. When was the last time you rode around Baltimore? Uh week or two ago. I don't know the exact. Now, I get my hair cut. So I go, let's say twice a month into Baltimore. I've seen three different colored marked patrol cars. Three. One of them looks like it's a security guard car. It's like got a (laughs) blue and yellow thing across the the side. So in that regard, the respect for the agency because think about it. We, we said this in another episode. The first thing that people see is what you're wearing. And if it's not uniformed, then right away you think, oh, man, this is like a clown show. We don't even know what – they don't even know what police cars they're riding around in. Uh, who are they? What, what is their role? And um, it takes money to do those things. So you have to start – it's almost like you got to re- push a reset button, and that won't be done with less money. Serge, if I were police commissioner of Baltimore City and I had any money at all to spend on painting police cars, I could care less about the three colors. You know what I'd be doing? What's that? Taking all that fleet of unmarked cars all over the city, and with the exception of those people who need an unmarked car, for example, to locate witnesses. I get that. Absolutely. You know, you need you need somebody to go out and find the witness in the homicide case. And ideally, you want them in a rented car. That's usually what Baltimore City uses mm-hmm. so that it's not identifiable as, a, identifiable at all as a law enforcement and plainclothes officers that uh, can blend in so that they can talk to people willing to talk to them in the community without those people being outed as informants. I get that. But all these, mm, I'll say. Uh, I well, was, in, in some of these communities. You need police to be able to blend in or or act in clandestine roles. Yes, I get it. So, and so that I that I of course, if I was police commissioner, I'd support every bit of that. Mm-hmm. But everybody who has a job that is inside an office that wears a uniform or even doesn't wear a uniform. First of all, I'd be in favor of more uniforms, not fewer uniforms. I agree with that. Secondly, I'd mark all those unmarked cars as police all over. So when these commanders are driving through the city, they're not turning a blind eye to crime. They have to become involved themselves. And I think it's absurd that uh, I think the police department almost everywhere is top-heavy in administration. I agree with that. Well, okay, but then you'd be for defunding. In other words, this is my theory. Well, we need more police on the street, so I'm not for defunding it. I just think they're too top-heavy. Well, I think then some put of them on the street. Making all this money to do nothing in, in charge of three or four people. Um, if, or, if there's anybody that's making a big salary to do nothing, I'd say to the county, to the city council, cut that from my budget and let's terminate that employee the way capitalism has to do it, to, to turn around a business, the way you have to say, we, we can't. In capitalism, there's a measure of productivity, it's called the profit. And it's a it's a mathematical way that somebody can say this company made more profit with more employees in 2021 than we did with fewer employees in 2020. So how about we cut that money and 
put it into police officer mental health support. Don't just say, oh, we don't need that money where you still have police who have no mental health support measures in place. And then when somebody gets their head broken or they go off the range, you just say, oh, there's another bad cop. I'm not opposed to police officers having access to mental health services. In fact, I think it's very good. It's a necessity. I think, well, it may be a necessity, but I will tell you, it comes loaded with its own list of problems. In other words, uh, and I'll use myself as an example, so I'm not embarrassing anybody else, but I, I've said my whole life, my dominant emotion is anger. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, that's not a probably a very good thing to put a police uniform on and send out on the street. Absolutely not. But at the, but. This is why I say that. In part, I was raised by a father who repeatedly said, patience isn't a virtue. If men were patient, we'd be living in caves and foraging for berries for dinner. People, the world changes because an impatient man got off off his butt, was dissatisfied with the status quo, and went out to change the world. But you don't want your mother or sister pulled over by a policeman who is unbearably impatient. No, no, I agree. And also, I don't want – you're right. And I don't want my mother or sister pulled over by – great point – by an angry policeman. Absolutely. But I want a policeman on patrol who sees my mother or sister assaulted to have good-hearted, red-blooded American anger and contempt for the criminal to run that criminal down, put him down, and cuff him. Absolutely. But that doesn't exist in law enforcement anymore. It's all this. It's, uh, I mean, it does exist. But what I'm saying is it is, it is now being pushed aside as we need a problem solving model. I get it. I love it. I'm a, I'm a professional problem solver as a lawyer. I get it. Absolutely. I agree with that. Well, I think, I think that's a good skill set. I got it. And I think good police officers are professional problem solvers. I got it. But I also think there needs to be a healthy level of disdain for criminal behavior. But defunding the police won't help any of that. Well, when I say I'm for defunding the police, I don't mean I'm for defunding the police as it's advocated by Angela Davis. Mm -hmm. What I mean is I think there's there's an area where I kind of agree. I personally believe too much money is spent ineffectively in law enforcement. In effect, and I agree with that 100%. Well, I have less hope than you. That if we if we say take this money and use it differently within an administrative bureaucracy called a police department, that that'll happen. <laughs> In other words, uh, this is my idea. So then, who's at fault? It's the politician. I think the politicians are at fault for most of America. However, I have to say this: we have a system where we get to elect our politicians, so it still comes back to us. In other words, as you look around. Uh, in America, it's, you know, the person who's county executive where I live, I voted for a candidate, maybe him, maybe another <laughs> candidate. We get but, it. Uh, well, no, no. But the point is I voted. I'm not telling who I voted for, yeah, but yeah. the point is I voted. Yeah. So that whether this guy is the person I voted for or not, I participated in the process. And also, I, I will say uh, in the election, in many elections, I think there's two good or qualified candidates, meaning I don't think every election, as you as you might think if you watch Fox News, is a is a death match mm-hmm. between the rational good and the irrational evil. Yes. I think I think all sorts of people have real strengths. And uh, you know, I'll give you an example that uh, I can't remember his last name for a second, but Bernie Sanders. Sanders that ran for thank you, that ran for president. 
I don't agree with his political positions at all, but I do believe in my heart the man has a high level of integrity when it comes to running government. And good faith. And good faith. Right, right. So the point is I don't view him as an enemy of the people or something. I view him as a guy who sees government differently, sees capitalism differently, and I disagree with his ideas. But I could work with uh, Bernie Sanders if he was – if I had a position of power – and it was uh, affected if I was in the Senate or the House of Representatives or something or um, in an executive role in government. And Bernie Sanders was the president. I could work with that guy. I, you know, I, I think he has a lot of good in him. Well, here's the crazy thing, though. Back to defund the policing. None of this, none of this defund the policing sentiment comes from people's fear of crime per se it's more their fear of the police or right. their that's a perceived great point. fear of the police that's a great so point. that's why when i say things like mental health better training those are the reasons why people don't feel like they're getting the bang for their buck in these communities and i'll take us to an incident that happened in Baltimore back in uh, 2017, where an elderly woman was shot by a young man. He and his, a young man in his 20s walking down the street in this West Baltimore neighborhood, eating chicken as they walk, throwing the bones. Almost sounds like a bad joke, but <laughs> they're throwing the bones into people's yards. It sounds like a bad racist joke. Absolutely. So they're throwing the chicken bones into people's yards. Everyone African-American here. And he's encountered or confronted by a 90-year-old woman, a 90-year-old woman, Clark Hours, who tells him, and you got to imagine all she's been through, that she probably didn't use kind words, said to him, you know, what are you doing? Stop doing it. Pick them up. Pick up your trash. They get into a confrontation back and forth. And... Neighbors come to her assistance. Can I interrupt you right there for an observation? Yeah. Just the altercation back and forth shows the breakdown of respect in our community. Because as a young person, well, from the time I was born, I was raised that this is what you say to an older woman. Yes, ma'am. Absolutely. So go ahead. And no, ma'am, had better be in response to a question. (laughs) <laughs> Correct. Not what you are or not going to do. Correct. So Correct. Anyway, this young man, I guess we'll call him, and his lady friend leave the scene. Call him a young human. I don't even know that I'd call him a human. I don't know what I'd call him at this point. Okay. So he leaves the scene and returns with a handgun. He shoots the 90-year-old woman and a 56-year-old man, a neighbor who came to her defense. And one thing we do know is that he was charged with murder back in, we're not going to use the names for for legal reasons, but back in 2013, he was charged with murder. So now he's on the street. I don't, you know, everyone's innocent until proven guilty. So I don't know the outcome of that, but he's back on the street and here we go. More recidivism in a neighborhood that already dangerous, defunding the police will make it more dangerous. Well, that that brings me back to the idea of uh, the politicians in this defund the police. Uh, First of all, let me start with a premise. I think 
politicians on both sides of the aisle use poor people uh, with a sense of indifference in a way which is revolting to me. The Republicans, I'm speaking in broad, broad ways here. Uh, the Republicans uh, use an increase in crime where poor people are the victims to gain more money for the police and to have more pro-law enforcement, law and order policies. But at the same time, in my judgment, don't really address some of the underlying root causes of that same uh, problem. So in effect, they say we will arrest our way out of the crime problem in America. We will incarcerate our way out of the crime problem in America. And I don't think it's worked. But the citizenry doesn't hold them accountable for not, doesn't hold the politicians accountable for not addressing the root causes properly. Well, they probably don't, but the, well, I I don't know whether they do or don't. In other words. Well, we see it, Clark. We discussed it in the episode where we talked about the reading uh, in Baltimore City. The city that reads, 16% of fourth graders read on a fourth grade level. Doesn't make logical sense. No. Uh, But getting back to the politicians for just a second, I think the Democrats also lie. The Democrats recently, uh, uh, Pataki, the White House spokeswoman, she said it's the Republicans who want to defund the police. And even the Washington Post, which is a pretty liberal newspaper (laughs) in my experience, the Washington Post gave her three Pinocchios for that. Like, now you're just lying. There's a whole article about <laughs> I it. I like that, three Pinocchios. Well, that's, you know, they're just saying yeah. that's a lie. You know, don't, don't say it if you expect us to respect you. Well, what absolutely sickens me, though, is that meantime, whether you're pro-defund the police or anti-defund the police, whether you're pro-Republican or anti-Republican, pro-Democrat or anti-Democrat, What continues to happen all over America? Poor people are being victimized at rates that are abhorrent to any sense of civilization. I would never, ever suggest that the police can prevent every murder. On the other hand, I do believe that law enforcement and other government interventions would have some effect on reducing the amount of lawlessness that I think is consistent in the following cities, Chicago, New York, San Francisco, Los Angeles, even now Austin, Texas. And, you know, to say Austin, Texas has a crime problem is saying something because Texas is still home to the executions. You know, they're, they're ready to the, really. they're Flip they're, the switch in a heartbeat. Well, they're ready to do what it takes. Yeah. So come on, what's going on? Well, you know who Joe Rogan is, don't you? Uh, as I think I, I think that uh, I told you this one time, jokingly, I aspire to be Joe Rogan. You know, as a, we all do. That's right? a podcast in the podcast world. That's a we podcaster joke. You know, he's a he's the highest paid podcaster in America in the world, I believe. Oh, okay, yeah. very good. Um, in an episode, he was discussing with a guy. I can't remember who it was. If it was Ben Shapiro. And they were talking about crimes in these inner cities and how it's just unacceptable. And one thing he said that that uh, I remember is, could you imagine if hundreds of Americans yearly were dying in a foreign country 
what the American government would do, what their response would be. If hundreds and thousands of Americans, like we have hundreds in Baltimore each year, hundreds in Chicago, all these cities, were dying in a foreign land, America would bring its entire military to bear to deal with that situation. C-130s be landing with uh, tanks and troops. Absolutely. But here in America, we have that every year unceasingly, and we've almost become numb to it politicians they get on stage and use it as their their platform Talking for running point. for for running yep. for an office but once they get off of the soapbox it means nothing and then to say defund the police i think new york is showing us that they're not having it with the uh the um eric adams yeah the eric eric adams well new york uh, de blasio the current mayor defunded the nypd by a billion mm-hmm. and in the democratic uh primary election, which as a practical matter is the election for mayor because Demo- uh, Democrats are so uh, so outnumber Republicans in the boroughs of New York. Well, in the Democratic primary, which first of all was its own cluster, yes. where they, they couldn't even figure out who won for weeks. <laughs> but in any event, it looks like Eric Adams is going to be the next mayor of and a former New York City police officer. Um, he was anti-defund the police. He's basically considered pro-law enforcement. And he's African American, right? And he won, and that caused uh, James Clyburn, uh, a congressman who I personally believe is a pretty good. Uh, he, he takes the temperature of, I'll call it, middle of the road African American vote. He has described the defund the police slogan as a chokehold. On the Democrat, and he's using that word. I mean, that's a provocative word. Chokehold. Chokehold. Post uh, Derek Chauvin and George (laughs) Floyd, he's saying this slogan, defund the police, is a chokehold on the Democratic Party. And unless we drop it, we're going to become the minority party, not minority in terms of race, but minority in terms of numbers. Democrats will be outnumbered by Republicans Mm -hmm. in the next Congress. And we're already seeing it. The shift. Well, I I agree. And, it, of course, that doesn't bother me particularly. I'm not going to identify which party I'm associated with. I typically consider myself independent. Mm-hmm. But, but I will tell you I lean Republican in terms of policy as you lean Democrat in terms Absolutely. of policy. And to me, uh, I think that defund the police is so bad an idea that that's what caused uh, the – Democrat at the White House to claim it was Republican idea. In other words, it's bad. It's not working. Throw it on them. Now, when I say defund the police might have some merit, I'm really being somewhat uh, cynical in this way. What I mean is I think by and large police departments are overpaid without, without a fair measurement of getting the job done. And if I were a mayor if I were a county county councilman anywhere, if I were a county executive anywhere or governor anywhere, I would literally bring in the superintendent, commissioner, police chief, sheriff, or sheriff, yeah. Yeah, sheriff, whatever the top law enforcement guy is or man, woman is, I'd say, tell me what this money buys. And I would look at it just like a capitalist. In other words, if I'm buying uh, a Ford truck, I expect to get 100,000 miles. 100,000 miles and to have this for the first three years and 
and it to cost me this much to maintain, and that's what I'm buying. I'm getting something back for my expenditure. What the hell am I getting in America for paying the police? Because I don't believe the average police chief, sheriff, or commissioner could answer that question. I don't think so either. Uh, ask ask it in Baltimore. You know, <laughs> I'm we're under federal. We got the Department of Justice through a through a U.S. Uh, district court judge in charge of the police department. Tell me what we're getting. And if we're getting e- even a simple thing, can you bring murders down to 300 per year, which ought to shock the conscious that that's our goal? In America. Right, right. For a Killed city by that, Americans. For a city that people are leaving. It's not even a well-populated city anymore. It's probably, population probably like 637,000 or something now. If that. I know. It's it, Why that's so important is the place we're broadcasting this from, uh, Howard County has over 300,000 citizens now and won't have anywhere near that. So in other words, if we have half the population of Baltimore City with less than 140th of the murders, what is going on? That's not an accident. Well, <laughs> what do you mean it's not an accident? It's not an accident because the, the politicians here won't allow it. They won't allow their police to 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 backpedal and, and cow down to uh, – to criminality, they won't. They won't. They won't stand for it. And the judges are on board. They won't stand for it. Well, it's interesting you say that. If you talk to Howard County police officers these days, as I do, uh, many of them feel very differently. The police chief of Howard County is an African American woman who actually, in uniform, held a Black Lives Matter sign and marched with Black Lives Matter. And I'm not criticizing her for that at all. I know a lot of people are. I'm not getting involved in that. Uh, contest of wills. I don't care. And I'm not offended as a citizen. As a matter of fact, I think every special interest group has its right, including Black Lives Matter, to be heard in America. I think that's the American way. So I'm in no way uh, uh, criticizing her. But many of the police officers in Howard County believe they are being hamstrung by new policies and so forth. And uh not, policies which are not as strong on law enforcement and are more strong on problem solving. Now, I actually think that model has a, a real value to it, the problem solving model of law enforcement. But uh, I also believe that when the wolf's at the door, when the carjacking takes place, what you really want is a well-trained police officer prepared to put that criminal in a pair of handcuffs and introduce that criminal to the rest of the criminal justice system, yes. the courts and corrections. And until that until that will exists, I think crime's going to continue to go up. And like uh, Al Sharpton said, we need to reimagine how policing is done going forward, but we need proper policing. Well, And I, this I, is what I'm saying. Proper policing doesn't mean cowardly policing. That's interesting. I by the way, Serge, well, you know you and I uh, share that view. One of the things which drives me crazy about some of the rhetoric that's being used now, I'm 100% in favor of re-ma- reimagining the police, meaning I think there really is something to these social models that emphasize uh, respect for the community. I, I actually believe that is a constitutional principle. We, the people, grant the power to government. You don't have the power to come in and push me around, whatever Absolutely. my race whatever my poverty level and so forth. You know, I'm a citizen of this country Mm -hmm. and we grant the power to government to govern us, uh, to govern all of us according to how we dictate we're willing to be governed. 
So I believe strongly in some of these new models of police uh, work, and I also am open-minded about what works. You know what? I think we should use that slogan, reimagine the police, not defund the police. Well, I don't mind reimagining the police, but let me just tell you what a what I'm unwilling to reimagine. <laughs> I'm unwilling to reimagine a carjacker carjacking an old lady, throwing her out of her car and taking the car and You're not right. responding to it with force. In other words, I, I personally don't want to reimagine that we will investigate to, you know, we'll investigate it slowly and carefully. We'll develop our probable cause. We'll ask a judge for permission to go speak to the young man. We'll take mental health workers with us. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, when, we- when I say reimagine, I say we'll treat people, well, not us because we're not police anymore, but we'll treat people fairly. We won't uh, allow for certain people to re- receive disparate treatment. And ditto, when ditto. force needs agree, to agree, be used, check mark, check mark. What was your third? I'm sorry. I was when force over. needs to be used, it will be used. Colorlessly, you know, well, I have no problem with that at all. But and I think most people wouldn't if they looked on TV and they felt that everyone was receiving the same treatment in response to the same events or instances. I think we'd have we it, there'd be a beginning to reimagining. The well, police. let me then, I guess, close out with a, uh, and then I'll ask you to close out as well. Let me close out with Clark Oller's reimagining. <laughs> Uh, the police responding to carjacking. Okay, this is how I reimagine it. First, I'm going to say the carjacker is a Caucasian male. Okay. Uh, all tatted up with biker, uh, you know, he, he looks like a tough biker guy, and he's uh, muscular and young. And he has uh, dragged a 90-year-old African-American woman out of her car and taken her car without permission. And we call that in America carjacking. And he mm-hmm. showed a knife or a gun or some force. This is what I want to happen to that guy. I don't care the color or gender or sexual preference of the police that apprehend him. But I wanted him apprehended. If he gives up, if, if as soon as the police officer lights up the car, he pulls over and puts his hands up in the air, reaches through the windows, unlocks the door at the direction of the police, and surrenders. I don't want him beat up on video. I don't think that's a good image. And I don't think the police have the right to do it to the man who's surrendering, as he should be, with the show of police authority. Now, my personal experience has been that's very unlikely to happen <laughs> when you light him up. So yeah. if you light him up and he doesn't stop, I hope the police pushes push her car off the road I hope that she has insurance to get her new car because the police are probably going to use their car to push it off the road. And I hope they drag him out of the car the same way he dragged the old lady out of the car. And I hope they put him on the ground and cuff him. And if he's dumb enough to pull a gun or a knife on the police officers, I hope they shoot him to take him into custody. And if he dies during that, like everybody, I will say for whom the bell tolls, because I am a believer that each of us, uh, is a child of God and so forth, and I don't want anybody uh, to to be killed unnecessarily. But more importantly than that somebody die unnecessarily is that 90-year-old African-American women can drive their car safely through my community without fear of being carjacked. So that's Clark Oller's reimagining. And you know what? Now, Serge, what's yours? I'm going to reimagine before we go. One thing you and I talk about all the time is that we acknowledge that 
there is a such thing as unconstitutional policing because, you know, we have the right to life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. But the right to life is one of those main, is the, you know, is the main premise or cornerstone of the Constitution. So when we sit back and pretend that when someone who's committed a crime has the right to flee the police, which puts lives in danger, whether they're fleeing on foot or by vehicle, fight the police. Let's just say when we when you're using the word crime, you're not talking about vaping on the border. No, you're absolutely You're talking not. about I'm carjacking. I'm talking about real crimes. Right, carjacking, right. murder, right, I got rape, so, robbery. Okay. And we see these people apprehended, and it's not by way of a hug, and we sit back and pretend that the greater conscious has been shocked. Yet, a young human, as you called him, is able to shoot a woman in broad daylight in West Baltimore in 2017, and no one knows her name. No one knows the name of the neighbor who come, came to her aid. I bet you most people don't even know the name of the 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 actor, the suspect. So I think we need to reimagine that the police are here for a purpose, and it's not to entertain kids at birthday parties. But there are legitimately bad people in the world. So we have to stop acting like because the times have turned us in the direction that the police are bad, that there are no bad people who the police are responsible for apprehending and dealing with. And if you're dealing with a guy who's violent, you can't imagine that you don't have to use a little bit of force. So I say we reimagine the police and it's going to take all hands on deck. Well, I uh, thank you for your uh, contribution, Serge, as always, Serge Antonin. Serge calls me Clark Ollers. That's right. So I'll use his last name so that everybody remembers. Uh, thank you to our listeners, and we look forward to speaking with you on another topic in two weeks. This podcast is the copyrighted property of Black and White and Thin Blue Lines Incorporated, a Maryland corporation. Any rebroadcast of the podcast without the written permission of the owner, is prohibited. For more information, we invite you to visit the website, blackandwhiteandthinbluelines.com. All of the words in the URL address use common spelling and are typed together with no spaces. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast, and we welcome your remarks through email. The email addresses of the co-creators, Serge Antonin and Clark Ollers, may be found on the website.